0: Is it like the sound of corduroy's like when your thighs have expanded and it just goes <laughs> Hey
1: there Michelle Bebo beep beepy Wow that is some kind of hello. Boop, ba, da, ba, That's boo. jazz. I was going to say, you're scatting all over the place. That's a jazz welcome. <laughs> welcome to
0: you. Welcome to me. Welcome to all of you eavesdroppers who are here right now joining
1: us. I'm doing jazz hands. Jazz hands. <laughs> it's a jazz <laughs> welcome. I'm giving you jazz hands back.
0: <laughs> I thought you were doing Mickey Mouse ears. <laughs>
1: no. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to eavesdropping. Do, do join us. <laughs> Do eavesdrop on us. She's Michelle. And she is Geordie. I was about to say, I'm Geordie. You got me confused no, you're there. I for- yeah. didn't realise we we're introducing each other. So, how's your week been? Good. You've been in it most of the time. I know. We've been drinking those daiquiris again. Obsessed. Yeah. Obsessed. And recording our social
0: media. If you don't follow us on social media, why not? It's fun. You should check it out. We always do funny things, don't we, Michelle? In fact, we went to get our nails done this week, didn't we? We did. And we sat there and we did all our social medias as well for the last episode and we mimed to our own podcast podcast. Whilst sitting in a pedicure chair.
1: I think we had the whole... Nail spa? I think we had the whole nail salon riveted. big And I think we actually recruited some new eavesdroppers. I
0: think we may have. So welcome to all the pedicured new eavesdroppers out there.
1: Hi. And amazing, we are actually doing reels. It was for a reel. So if you haven't checked out our reel on Instagram, check it out.
0: eavesdroppin underscore at eavesdroppin, no G, Underscore. You don't write no G, by the way. it's just is no G. It is no in G. In case you're confused like we are.
1: Because they might have been thinking like you were saying, hey, you're my G. Anyway, it's a no G. And help us go viral because you can on Reels. So check it out. Give us some love. Give us the hearts, all that stuff.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So, Michelle, I have a little something to tell you. What have you got? You remember our researcher, Ren? Yes. She's provided us with a lot of interesting stories. She She was the one who told me about the Joe Chinque story, Yep, the Canberra poisoning. Terrible. Go back and listen. It's a great episode. She got in touch after listening to one of our recent episodes. Do you remember Mark from Rains Park told us about all those young people in South Africa who just dropped dead while celebrating the finishing their exams and whatnot. Yes, yes. A whole club full of kids aged between 13 and 17 just dropped dead and they couldn't figure out why. Mm. Well, there was an update on a website called AP, I don't know what that stands for, about the 21 teens who died in the town of East London in South Africa. Methanol was found in the blood of the 21 teenagers according to a health official. Methanol, not ethanol, which is what alcohol is made of, but methanol is a toxic chemical and if it's ingested, even in the smallest amount, it can kill you.
1: So what are they thinking? They all took dodgy, I don't know. dodgy like meth
0: that night? Well, it's not meth. It's methanol and it's a colourless liquid that's usually used in antifreeze or paint remover, totally toxic to humans. And like I said, if you've even taken the smallest amount, it can be lethal. There is, however an antidote but you need to be aware of it first you need to know that you've actually taken it in order to go and get it
1: well i'd like to know how that happened
0: they use it in moonshine maybe sometimes. Perhaps they made their own alcohol. But the police have actually taken in the club owners and whatnot to have a little yeah. chat with them and find out what the fuck happened that night because it's mad.
1: oh, it's Awful, tragic. Horrific. Absolutely horrific. Oh, well, thanks, Wren, for the update. That's amazing. Thanks for the horror, Wren. <laughs> uh, I've got a little shout out, actually. Oh, We do love a shout-out. A shout-out. I've got a shout-out for Lindsay Sadler, long-time eavesdropper, who she's stuck with us. Oh,
0: thank you, Lindsay. I
1: know. She sent me a text just the other day saying, still loving the podcast. So we're still loving you, Lindsay. Thank you you very much. Say work! So, Geordie. Yes, mate. <laughs> mate, all right. Yes, mate. Yeah, mate. Now, you threw—you just threw one word at me for this week. You just said premonitions. Yeah. Because, as you all know, we were doing a deep dive. We did a deep dive each over the last two weeks. Today, we've got lots of stories for you from both of us. Both of us are going to have a little go this week. On premonitions. That's right. I have managed to combine that with some true crime. She likes murder. Murder. So I'm going to ask you a question, Johnny. Please do. <laughs> yes. Do you believe you can have a premonition of your own death?
0: Yes, I do. Great. Because that's what I'm talking about
1: today. <laughs> 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 oh, I hope we don't have the same story. I hope so too. So... When you gave me this theme, I started duck-duck-going and I did find some strange shit about premonitions. Okay, Yes, yeah. I did. But this case really jumped out at me. So, we're going to Arlington in Texas.
0: Okay, good. That's, I'm glad. Keep away from Great Britain, please. <laughs> yes, no, these are all American.
1: So, anyone who doesn't know Texas, I don't. Uh, Arlington is between Dallas and Fort Worth. It's more like a suburb. I feel like I know the name Arlington, Virginia. Yes.
0: Did you say Virginia? No, Texas. No. Oh <laughs> us you know do
1: listen, Jordy. Texas. But I feel
0: like I know Arlington, Virginia. Is there one in Virginia too? Listeners,
1: let me know because I care. So we're going to Texas. September 17, 1995. Ooh. The 90s, the good old 90s. So Christine Vue. VU. VU? Mm. VU. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Vu Vu. Christine Vu was 25 She was a third grade teacher And she was living in a very nice Very middle class gated apartment block With security And they were called pear tree apartments So quite posh Pear tree Oh pear tree
0: right Like
1: a partridge in a pear tree Not a petri dish which is what I thought you'd said (laughs) No that would be quite grim So she'd only just moved away from home and she absolutely, by all accounts, loved living alone in this apartment block because it was a short walk to her school. And in fact, it was within walking distance of about five local schools. So the block was full of other young female teachers all going to these different five schools and it had a really nice kind of community feeling, except... And I'm going to do a trigger warning here. Oh,
0: God, already? We're only about 10 minutes in.
1: I know. Sorry. So September 17, 1995, Christine was found tied up, raped. Oh, fuck. And I know, and strangled to death in her bathtub. Oh, my God. Under several inches of water. Look, as you can imagine, this absolutely shook the... Shook Arlington, you know people, and and right. in fact Texas and Fort Worth and Dallas, they were all freaked out by this. But at the time, most people just thought it was some kind of one-off domestic situation that ended up in murder, even though the murderer wasn't caught. And these are, like you said, gated apartments, gated, posh, gated apartments right. with securities So it's either the security guard or it's somebody within the building. Who knows? It's a it's a bit weird. It's a bit of a murder mystery, right. but fast forward to Christmas Eve, nineteen ninety six. So just over a year later, Wendy Prescott, who also lived alone in her apartment at the Pear Tree Apartment Block, literally just meters away from where Christine had yeah. lived, had a situation. She was twenty two. Very similar, actually, to Christine in many mm. ways. She was 22. She was a second grade teacher's aide at a local school, just like Christine. Yeah. She'd only recently moved out of home into her first apartment, just like Christine. And when Wendy was a bit of a no-show, what I say? A bit of a no-show. She was a goddamn no-show. She was a no-show at her family's traditional Christmas Eve get-together right, together yeah. at her grandma's house. Well, obviously, the family got worried because, according to them, she would never, ever have missed that Christmas Eve celebration. She was never going to miss hanging out with the family unless something was wrong. And, obviously, they tried calling her, getting in touch with her, nothing. This was really before the time of mobile phones, so they'll probably just ring the apartment. And also,
0: they may have been a little bit freaked up because obviously there was a girl that was murdered the year before in her own apartment in, in the very safe and secure pear tree apartments, right? They would have a reputation by now.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if you're a young woman, would you actually move to the pear tree knowing that? No. I fucking wouldn't. But the thing is, I think they were really nice apartments. And I think, you know, after an incident like that, I'm sure the security and the management are all like, never happened yeah, again. Yeah, that's true. You'd probably We've think got it covered. Yeah, lightning doesn't
0: strike twice, etc. You probably would think it's happened now. They've, they're have they on it. Yeah, it's bad for business.
1: Especially as too, like, I think all of the media coverage at the time were just putting this down to some kind of domestic argument gone wrong. That's right. what they were saying. Thing is, shortly after midnight, so technically Christmas Day, uh, one of Wendy's relatives popped round to see why the fuck Wendy hadn't shown up to the family do. What they mm. found was... Trigger warning? Trigger. Trigger warning. Wendy tied up, raped, strangled to death in her bathtub under several inches of oh water. God. Absolute fucking same MO as the last murder. The thing is, in both... The Both cases, according to the reports I've read, there was no sign of forced entry into the apartments, no evidence of robbery. And actually, even though they lived, you know, in the same block, Wendy had moved in after and there was no link between the two women.
0: Except for the fact that they both lived in these pear tree apartments where a woman was already murdered in exactly the same way. Come on.
1: And there was a report saying that the police had also said there was no reason to believe, this is like a direct quote, no reason to believe that either woman was living a high-risk lifestyle, i.e. they weren't sex workers or drug users. So
0: they are trying to say that the possibility has been taken away of the fact that they had let their killer in.
1: Yeah. So basically they didn't let them in to score drugs. They didn't let them in because they were a client. The police were saying these are... Basically, random attacks, except how fucking random is not it? not random. They didn't do their job the first time. I'm annoyed. So you can imagine when this hit the press, the the murder of two young girls who lived in the same apartment block shook the shit out of Arlington. Yes. Yeah. I think everyone realised these weren't random, as you said, or a one-off. They were probably dealing with a serial killer mm-hmm. and – Of course, like I said, this was splashed all over the news and the murderer was imaginatively called by the press the bathtub killer. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There you go. So, and if you go on and look up anything to do with these cases, just look up bathtub killer because it comes up. So, one of the people who'd seen all the press coverage about these two murders and who was absolutely fucking shit scared was a 22-year-old woman called Adrienne Fields. Okay, she's 22. She lives in the pear tree complex. Yes, she does. She had this super strong premonition that she was going to be next. Oh, God.
0: Well, is it a premonition or is it just basic numbers? Like it's inevitability. She ticks all the boxes. She
1: lives in the right place. She is the same age. She's of the same profile. Well, there's an interview with her on YouTube, and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Link it up, Shell. Uh, where she says, and these are her words, when I saw it on TV, I just had this crazy feeling like I am next. I just knew it mm. and I can't explain it. And look, worse than that, Adrienne had this strange feeling that she was being followed. So she decided she was going to get the hell out of Arlington and she moved. She moved to Grand Prairie, which when I looked it up on the map, because I didn't know where it was, it's sort of, it's another town, but it is still between Dallas and Fort Worth. So not a million miles away, but she got the hell out of Dodge, Mm. you know. So she had this premonition strong enough to make her up sticks, which is, I think, quite serious. Yeah. And it's intense. These are her words again. She says, I told my friends, I'm moving because he's going to get me. So she really believed she was going to get attacked by this but guy. But to be
0: fair, Michelle, I think I would probably put some kind of safety mechanisms into place as well, if, even if it was just moving in my brother or whatever for the time. Yeah. Because I would well, think I'd be next as well. She fits the profile. She lives in the building. Two unsolved murders already
1: happened. Well, she's gone now. She's moved to Grand Prairie and he didn't get her. He didn't get her. Good. Three years go by. No? Nothing. Okay. Then? Then. On, on October. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to create suspense here.
0: <laughs> Sorry. But I feel like I've, pre- I've got a premonition, Michelle. I know what's happening next.
1: What's your premonition? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'll let you tell me and see if I'm right. <laughs> so then, then, Jordy. Yes. Then, then. October 26th, 1999. Case files. <laughs> it's a case file. I, I was about to try and do his voice on October 26th, 1999 at 3am. That's it, Michelle. Like I said, we are talking three years later. you think she, she was probably
0: breathed a sigh of relief by now.
1: I'm sure she thought, fucking dodged that guy. Oh, I'm an idiot. Why did I move? You know, I didn't have to leave all my friends and whatever. N- nothing happened. I'm still alive. Her fucking worst nightmare came true. Right. These are her words. She says, I hear swish, 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 swish. You know that sound? And I'm thinking, no. I don't fucking know that sound. Is it like the sound of corduroys? Like when you thighs Shh, in corduroys? Sh- sh- oh, <whistles>
0: When you've like put your two tight cords on in winter and your thighs have
1: expanded and it just goes. That's a very interesting theory. No? Very descriptive. I don't know it. Cords in fat thighs. Rubby thighs, yeah. yes. That's a very what what else could be a swish? Swish. I mean it could be the,
0: the swish of a cape, a black cape of the spring Jack. Oh my Jack. god. Swish, swish swish, <laughs> swish, 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 swish as he comes leaping in. Yeah. <laughs> it could be the sound of scissors. It could be the sound of do you know, what's it called when they do the gymnastics and they've got the stick with the ribbon on the end? What's that called? <laughs> Swish, swish, here it comes. Look out,
1: here comes the lady with the stick on the ribbon. Or it could be a knife slicing through the Uh. air. Swish, 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 swish. I don't know. Up to you guys, whatever you think it is. I can't wait to find out what it is, yes. I don't think we do. But anyway, she goes on to say, I turned over slowly. Oh, she's in bed. Christ. She's in bed. It's, it's October 26, 1999, 3 a.m. Mm. She's asleep. She's in bed. She said, I turned over slowly. And as I turned over, here is this guy with a stocking on his head <gasps> running towards me. Okay, running towards running me. It's the thighs. Cords. <laughs> Sorry. In some 90s cords. Horrific. Yes, go on. Anyway, he jumps on the bed and he covers up my mouth and he puts a gun in my back. Shit, And he says... Do you feel that? And I said, yes. And he says, if you keep screaming, I'm going to hurt you. Fucking poor lady. No way. Fuck a duck. Right. So she didn't know him, but she said he knew my name. Ooh. And I'm like, oh, my God, how does this guy know me? I know
0: how. What? He was the security guard in the fucking pear tree complex.
1: Well, put a pin in that. <laughs> I'm not saying you're right. I'm just saying put a pin in that. But I'm also going to do another trigger here. Okay. This is not nice. He then raped her for two hours. Oh, God. Yeah. And again, these are her words. I remember he said, the devil keeps making me do it. And he said, you are not like the others. And she says, and that's when I realized he had done it before. And when I said, oh, my God, you've done this before, he stopped. He pushed me in the back of the head down to the floor. And I said, oh, Lord, please forgive me all my sins. I mean, she thought she was about to fucking die. Yeah. And she said, if I have to die tonight, I just want to go to heaven. Don't let my life have to end. And you know what? I don't know if she summoned the power of the Lord or fuck knows what. He did not kill her. Wow. And he just fucking left. He left. He left. And that's when she went to the police.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Yes. I mean, obviously, she's completely fucking raped, traumatised, had a gun. You know, it's just really terrible. But she got out of it with her life. Turns out he's a bit of a sloppy worker because he'd left his DNA all over the crime scenes, like her crime scene, also over Wendy and Christine Vu. But he hadn't had any previous, so that's why they couldn't track him. Exactly. And, of course, it was a match to Wendy and Christine's murderer. He stalked her. Yep. His name was Dale Chinette. So not long after he raped Adrienne, Dale was like picked up by the police for some minor shit. I don't even know what it was. It could even have been a traffic violation. Something, something really minor. Boom, his DNA, they got it. He was a match for loads of crimes, including the rape of a student called Chima Benson and four other sexual assaults in the Fort Fort Worth area. This guy was a fucking predator, serial predator, and obviously a murderer. But he obviously wasn't killing them all. He was just raping them. So I don't know if what happened with Christine and Wendy went wrong. That's why they ended up in the bathtub. But he wasn't always murdering them. But anyway, he was obviously Like picked up eventually charged and convicted of the rapes and the murders and he was given the death sentence he was murdered murdered death sentenced what do you put put to sleep what do you say executed. executed yes yeah but I think by lethal injection put to sleep put to sleep he's not a dog but you know what he's a honestly dogs are better than this guy That took place um, on February 10, 2009. So he was alive for 10 years. Gosh. Poor old Adrienne, though. She was obviously left a broken shell of a person. And she struggled Mm. for decades with depression and self-doubt. But 20 years after her attack, she finally found the courage to talk about what had happened to her. And she began this non-profit organisation called Rip the Bandage and she started advocating for other rape victims and homeless people. So absolutely incredible that she was able to do something good out of something so horrific.
0: That's incredible. Yeah, how inspirational.
1: Yeah, the amazing thing is she just fucking knew she was next and she tried to run, she moved, she did everything right and he's still Got her, yeah,
0: that's quite something, I mean, yeah, like I said before, many times during your story, the fact that she lived there, she was the same age range, et cetera, et cetera, just made sense that she was gonna have those visions because she was frightened because those girls are like me, I live in the same building, of course, you know you'd think, oh, I can see it happening to me, but she moved, and it was three years later, and still it happened,
1: yeah, now, I haven't actually written. This down So my nerds could be faulty But from memory I think he might have been a bouncer at a club He had to be some in some kind of security That's how he knew her name Yeah They've traced it back And they think that's the link That's how he knew her Right God knows how she knew
0: And how did he get into Pear Tree?
1: I don't know I don't know mm. I can look that up Nobody knows how he got in But maybe he knew the dude The other security dude, a pear tree. Mm. Maybe he knew. If he's security, maybe he's got his wily ways to get in. So, wow. Now that's a sweet rag. Juice Juice dropper. dropper. Now that's a sweet rag. Juice Juice dropper. I'm confused. Don't drop your juice. Juice Juice dropper. So. When I was uh, looking up premonitions, obviously, (laughs) this is actually not a premonition, but this is more about ghosts. So just hold on to your hats, all right? Ah. This murder blows my mind. Oh, sorry. It's a murder. Murder. Oh,
0: it's ghosts and murders and premonitions. So on February
1: 21st, 1977, the Chicago Fire Department received calls ...from concerned neighbours that there was smoke coming out of the flat of a woman in their building. Her name was Teresita Barsa. Now, she was born in the Philippines and she immigrated to the United States in the 60s to study music. And eventually she got married. Uh, She became a respiratory therapist at a hospital called Edgewater Hospital just outside of Chicago... And by all accounts, she was just a really nice lady who gave the local neighborhood kids free piano lessons while she was doing her master's in music. And everyone just loved her. Sounds nice, no? She's, yeah, really nice. Something awful. Filipino lady, Mm. yeah, who just was kind to the community. Yeah. But on February 21, 1977, Teresita's friend Ruth called her up for a bit of a natter. And they ended up chatting just for around half an hour. And apparently Teresita told Ruth that she was expecting a friend to come round. But that was all she said about it. Okay. An hour later, as I said, the fire department was called to Teresita's 15th floor apartment mm-hmm. where they found her apartment basically up in flames. Oh, no. But, yeah. But luckily, the firefighters were able to put out the fire pretty quickly, which meant not everything in the fire was destroyed, which was kind of a blessing and a curse because when they were able to kind of investigate inside the apartment to see what might have caused the fire, yeah, they discovered a burnt mattress in <sighs> the middle of the living room. And when they lifted up the mattress... What? And again, trigger warning, oh, people. God, Michelle. They found Teresita's naked, lifeless body oh. with a butcher's knife stabbed deep into her chest. Oh no! I know. So what they thought was just a fire pretty quickly turned into a murder investigation, okay. and that's when the case sort of took on a whole new level. Investigators at the scene thought the apartment had most likely been robbed. And they suspected that the fire had been deliberately lit Mm -hmm. to cover up Teresita's murder. Like, it's pretty obvious. And they had strong suspicions that because Teresita was found naked that she'd been sexually assaulted. And they dusted for fingerprints, but it was a bit of a dud because, you know, everything had gone up in flames. So that led to nothing. However, as they trawled through the debris of the fire they discovered a piece of paper that hadn't been completely burned, which said that Teresita had been expecting some theatre tickets from the initials AS. Now, the note was interesting, but they were like, is this actually a lead or is it just a note? Because when they drilled down into the significance of the note, they didn't know if AS was a person or a place or the visitor Teresita had been expecting that day or was it from a different day? Was she collecting the theatre tickets? What does AS even stand for? So they weren't really sure that the note had anything to do with Teresita's murder. That lead went cold pretty quickly especially as none of Teresita's friends or colleagues had any idea who, who AS was or who had it in for Teresita really because she's so nice and You know, she was well-liked. She was a nice, quiet, kind woman with no enemies that anyone knew of. And nobody could come up with a motive for the murder. So they had pretty much zero leads. And the case went cold. And Teresita's body was flown to the Philippines to be buried. So fast forward five months Mm -hmm. ahead to when Joseph Stachula who was the lead detective on Teresita's case, received a strange phone call from a guy called Dr. Jose Chua, who said that he and his wife, Remy, had information about Teresita's case. So Joseph and his partner, Detective Lee Epplin, set up a meeting with Jose and his wife at their home. Now, it turns out that Remy Chua was a respiratory technician also at Edgewater Hospital where Teresita had worked. So there was a connection there. And the reason they wanted to meet with the detectives is because they said they had some weird information to tell them. So apparently, Jose started off the meeting by asking if either of them were superstitious or believed in the paranormal wow. or believed in the afterlife. Oh, my God. Credit to what was his name, Joseph Stachula. Stachula. They were pretty open-minded. They said they were open to anything, and they were key, keen to hear what Jose well, had to say. Which the was. police
0: do contact psychics to help them with their investigations. It's been known to happen. We've spoken about it on this very podcast.
1: We have, and I'll put a link to those episodes. I'll link it up. Basically, Jose said for the past few months, he believed his wife Remy would be occasionally possessed by the spirit of Teresita Barsa. Oh, So Remy apparently told detectives that it all started one day when she was in the nurse's lounge at the hospital taking a nap. And when she woke up, she said she saw Teresita standing in front of her. Absolutely clear as day. Oh. And she got completely freaked out and ran out of the room. But a few weeks later, when both Jose and Remy were at home, Remy decided to take a nap in the bedroom When suddenly, Jose heard Remy scream. And when he ran to the bedroom to see what was wrong, he saw Remy sleep talking in a trance, in a voice that wasn't her voice. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And basically, the voice told him that she was Teresita Barsa and that she needed his help. So, Jose asked her what she wanted him to do. And she told him that a man had come into her apartment and killed her. And she begged Jose, please tell the police. And then suddenly Remy woke up, she had no memory of what had oh happened. Oh my
0: god.
1: Basically, this nice doctor and his wife were completely freaked oh. out. And they just decided to ignore what had happened because it was weird. essentially it was it was weird. And it was just his wife sleep talking. Yeah. They had no evidence, they had no real info, and they just felt a bit foolish. So they did nothing. Then I've been saying I've been saying then <laughs> quite a bit in this episode, sorry. Then a couple of weeks later, Remy went into another trance. And this time, Teresita, she got a bit aggy with Jose. It's like, why the fuck haven't you done anything? Come on, typical man, pull your finger out. She did. She, she said that. He said to her, listen, I don't know who killed you. I can't go to the police with no info. And she said, okay, I'll tell you, he did it. His name is Alan Showery. A-S. So... It turns out that Alan also worked at the same hospital that Teresita and Remy worked at as an orderly. And while Remy was in the trance, Teresita's voice said that Alan had come to her apartment to help her fix her TV. And while he was there, trigger, he choked her from behind, stabbed her with a knife and then tried to burn her body before stealing some of her jewellery as he left the apartment. And she said, he's given my jewellery to his girlfriend. Oh. So when Remy came out of the trance, Jose and Remy felt like they just had to go to the police this time.
0: Obviously, they knew this person, and they got so much information out of it.
1: Yep. So they had a name, they knew about this jewellery. Well, they just felt they couldn't not go, even though it sounded insane to go to the police and say... A dead woman's ghost has possessed my wife and told her this information. So, the detectives gave them the meeting and they told them everything. And they were like, fuck, okay, this is bizarre, but let's take a look at this Alan Showery. Because if nothing else, they had that note with AS written on it, so why not? And what they did was they made a surprise visit to Alan at his house yeah. and explained that they were just doing a routine investigation into Terracita's case. Would he mind coming to the station to answer some questions? So he did. So he went to the station and apparently he did tell the detectives that he had been at Terracita's apartment that well, night. Well, this is new info to them. Mm. And that he did help her try and fix her telly, but he right. didn't have the right tools. So he left and he said he'd fix it another time and then he headed home. But what Alan didn't know while he was at the, t- the station being questioned, Detective Stachula and Lee Eplin had gone to visit the girlfriend at the house. Oh. And she was being questioned as well at the same time. So out of curiosity, Detective Lee asked the girlfriend, has Alan given you any jewellery in the past five months? And the girlfriend says, yeah, yes. yeah, he's given me two bits of jewellery as a belated mm. Christmas present, right. a pearl cocktail ring and a jade pendant. Fucking hell. They don't know if this is Teresita's jewellery or not. So they no. ask her to go to the station with the jewellery for further questioning. And she's like, yeah, sure, no problem. So she goes to the station and she says she doesn't really mind the police holding on to the jewellery. So they hold on to it and they do what's kind of like a, a jewelry lineup. And over the next week, they get the friends and family in with all this different jewellery. And they say, can you see any of Teresita's jewellery here? Yeah. All of them pick out the pearl cocktail ring and the jade pendant. <gasps> and when Alan, when detectives told Alan about the jewellery, he knew the gig was up. He made a full confession. Oh, and my he, God. Yeah, and he told them, yes, he went to Teresita's apartment that night to fix her telly, but he didn't have the tools. He told her he'd come back with his toolbox. But on the way, he was so fucking desperate for money, he hatched a plan to rob and murder her.
0: Jesus.
1: Why? Just because he was desperate for money. He alone. had no money. I know. Or even say, listen, would you mind paying me for helping helping me fix the exactly. telly? So anyway, when he went back to the apartment and Teresita let him in, she turned around to lock the door. He choked her from behind, yeah. dragged her body into the living room, strangled her until she stopped screaming, stabbed her in the chest with the butcher's knife. Crikey. He then stripped her naked to make it look like a rape and robbery. And then he did actually fucking rob her, took the jewellery, and then he took the mattress from the bedroom, put it on top of her body and set it on fire. So basically every single thing that Remy Chua's voice from the dead channelling Teresita yeah. said, said was true. And eventually in 1979, Alan was sentenced to 14 years for murdering Teresita. Only 14. Get this. It's even worse. After five years... He was released. Why? I don't know. I mean, it's nothing. Five years for murdering a woman and... Wow, that's crazy. It is absolutely terrible. But anyway, for me, this is a fucking clear timeline of woman getting possessed, woman getting the accurate info, going to the police, Mm. leading to a conviction. Boom. It's not a premonition, but I thought it was pretty good. He's dropping, he's dropping, drop, it, drop it like it's
0: hot. So Michelle. Geordie. I'm also going to tell you some things about premonitions. Lovely. But first, I want to ask you, did you watch The Crown? Yes. Do you remember the series uh, when there was that heartbreaking episode at the beginning of the season? which covered the events of the 21st of October 1966 in
1: the coal mining town of Aberfan. Yes, I do remember that episode. Really heartbreaking.
0: They suffered a catastrophe of such magnitude, the entire world could not believe it when they heard that the tip of a coal waste stored on top of a mountain overlooking the town slid down at 9.15 in the morning in an avalanche of toxic black slurry. Witnesses who saw it said it was like a dark, glistening wave, twice the weight of water. Waves of 6 metres, which is 30 feet, came down at a speed of 30-odd kilometres, which is 20 miles an hour, and it sounded like a low-flying jet or thunder. Nothing in its way had stood a chance. It was caused by a build-up of water. There had been a couple of near-misses and complaints to the National Coal Board previously, but they'd all gone unheeded
1: done nothing to prevent it.
0: So this unfortunate slurry landslide engulfed Pantglass, I don't know how you pronounce it, I believe it's Pantglass, junior school oh. and two farm cottages and killed 116 children and 28 adults. Awful. Some of the school staff died trying to protect the children, like... Nancy Williams, who was the dinner lady, and she used her body to shield five children. All the children survived. (gasps) Sadly, the dinner lady did not, Nancy. She was found by rescuers still holding a pound note that she had been collecting as lunch money. Oh, God. The deputy headmaster, Di Banian, tried to use a blackboard to shield himself and five children from the slurry pouring through the school, but he and all 34 children in his class were killed.
1: Oh, God.
0: 10-year-old Errol May Jones had a dream the night before the disaster and she was desperate to tell her mother. But the mum said, oh, just tell me later, I'm too busy. But Errol May quite strongly replied, no, mummy, you must. I dreamt I went to school and there was no school there. Something black had come down all over it. Oh, my God. I've got I'm not joking. I just got chills. Chills. Fuck. This was just the latest in a week of really weird behaviour from Errol. In the days leading up to the disaster, she'd already told her mother that she wasn't afraid to die because she would be with Peter and June, who were two children that used to be her schoolmates who had died young.
1: Oh, my God.
0: In the days after the disaster, there's a psychiatrist and superintendent of a large mental hospital by the name of John Barker. He visited the site because he was interested in anomalies of a psychic nature. And he was also a member of the Society for Psychical Research, who we have spoken about this many times before. It was integral to the Enfield haunting, for example. Yes. So anyway, Barker, John Barker, he had, like I said, interest in unusual mental conditions. And he'd been conducting studies on Munchausen syndrome. And he was in the middle of researching a book about people who had foretold their own deaths. That book was called Scared to Death. <laughs> Scared to death I love it So Errol May Jones wasn't the only one who had the feeling of what was about to come
1: Did Errol make it? No Oh god, okay
0: Also on the day before the Aberfan disaster mm. Eight-year-old Paul Davies, also from Pantglas Junior School Had drawn a picture of a mass of figures digging at a hillside Accompanied by the words, The End oh Sadly, god. he also passed away during this catastrophe. So all of this information had come to light and John Barker found it too much for Barker to ignore. So he contacted Peter Fairley, who was the science editor at London's Evening Standard paper and asked him to publish an appeal requesting that anyone who had experienced any premonitions of Abafan please to get in touch. They received 76 replies. Oh my god. And so began the Premonitions Bureau which is a data bank for all the nation's dreams and visions to act as an early warning system to avoid such disasters in the future. That was the dream. Very much like Minority Report, starring Tom Cruise, which is based on a book by the science fiction author who wrote Do Androids Dream? Philip K. Dick. Is this
1: true, though? It's
0: true. They did set up the Premonitions Bureau. Oh, my God. Started by Barker and Fairley. Ultimately, they wanted to present the Bureau's findings to the Medical Research Council with a view to setting up an official national early warning system, though their proposal was flawed. If a catastrophe had been predicted and didn't happen, any visions that might have preceded that would be dismissed out of hand. So There's all sorts of problems oh, with it, really. Yeah,
1: yeah, that is true. I mean... You get a premonition and you take preventative action, you don't know. It doesn't happen. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well, true. Did you avert this disaster? You'll never know. Mm. The British Premonitions Bureau was set up with an 11-point system for each report of a future event that came in. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you had five points for unusualness, five points for accuracy, one point for timeliness. And in the 15 months that it existed, the Bureau collected 723 predictions. Wow.
1: Okay. A lot. That is a lot.
0: Two nights before the Aberfan disaster, a 63 year old man from, I don't know how to pronounce this, <laughs> it's from Lancashire. It's backup. 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 Back up in Lancashire. <laughs> dreamed he was trying to buy a book from what seemed to be a large vending machine with buttons, which he thought might be a computer. Remember, this is the 60s. Yes. White letters spelled out Aberfan on <gasps> the screen a word he had not even heard before.
1: Oh, my God. Meanwhile,
0: in Plymouth, the evening before the Aberfan disaster, a woman had a vision at a spiritualist meeting. She told six witnesses that she saw a schoolhouse, a Welsh miner and an avalanche of coal hurtling down a mountainside towards a boy with long bangs or a fringe.
1: Oh, my God. Within
0: minutes of the disaster, a 30-year-old film technician from Middlesex jumped up from her chair complaining of the earthy decaying smell of death (gasps) oh so 18 of these predictions were accurate and 12 of these came from just two correspondents one was a London dance and music teacher called Kathleen Lorna Middleton she's from Edmonton in North London and when she was seven years old Middleton watched her mother frying eggs on the cooker suddenly the egg that was in the pan lifted itself up and rose and rose up, up, up until it almost touched the ceiling. What? Her mother, who was really alarmed by this incident, she consulted a fortune teller who told her that an egg that flew out of the pan often symbolised a death. A few weeks later, one of Middleton's mother's best friends who had recently married died and was buried in her wedding dress.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. And from then on,
0: Middleton experienced premonitions in one form or another throughout her whole life. Usually, she'd have a headache which would precede, say, an earthquake or names and numbers would appear to her sometimes like neon signage in her mind. The other really rich source of premonitions for the Premonitions Bureau was a man who worked on a switchboard called Alan Hencher. He worked at the post office on the switchboard. His visions were often accompanied by distress and headaches as well. His first premonition was right before the Aberfan disaster. And he says, these are his words. I felt dizzy. Then came pain. Almost unbearable pain. When it cleared, I could see a black heaving mass and lots of small children. There was a mountain too, but I don't know where.
1: Was there a mountain at Aberfan?
0: It was on the top of a hillside and the coal tip. So the whole tips are being kept like in giant kind of tips. oh I guess it's
1: a slurry pit. It's a big there's a mountain above the
0: the school, mm-hmm. the hill, which is where they were all stored. These seven, I think there were seven or eight, maybe more tips. Fuck. Anyway, from there on, Alan started to have a series of predictions, sadly always featuring disasters, and he kept a note of his precognitions and sent them to the bureau. Here's an excerpt from one of them. Vivid images of an aircraft going down in flames. Impression of newspaper headlines saying 126 die. Alan Henscher had predicted a plane crash. Britannia airliner had two attempts to land and then crashed and burned at Nicosia or Nicosia. How do you say that? I don't know. In uh, Cyprus Airport. 126 people <gasps> lost their lives.
1: What a precise number. Oh, my God. He was right. Two
0: months later, he wrote visions of another aircraft, premonitions that 160 will die and 11 will be saved. These images are confused. Conflicting details are present. This does not appear to be a precognition of a single disaster. Four weeks later, there were two separate crashes on the 3rd and 4th of June, 1967. So consecutive crashes. The first happened at Stockport in England and the second was in Perpignan in France.
1: Oh my God.
0: There were 72 lives lost in Stockport and 88 fatalities in Perpignan. The total death toll being 160 and there were 12 survivors as opposed to 11 in Alan's Visions.
1: He is on the money. Incredible. This guy. Wow. In
0: another premonition from Kathy Kathleen Middleton, she wrote to Barker John Barker detailing a vision of a petrified astronaut. Earlier that day, although it hadn't yet been reported, Vladimir Komarov's Soyuz One capsule had crash landed in Russia, burning him to death. Oh. So during the public inquiry into Aberfan, it was revealed how the disaster had been preceded by other tip avalanches. So not necessarily, like I'd said before during your story, when something has already happened mm. and you have premonitions of it happening again. Is it a premonition or is it just being careful? Or just paranoia? Yeah. Damage limitation. Yeah. A local government engineer had twice written to the National Coal Board, as I had mentioned, about the danger that tip number seven on the village had posed Mm. to the school below, but this doesn't account for the dreams and drawings of the young children, or why Kathleen Middleton had awakened in the middle of the night, choking and gasping on the night before it happened, with the sense of
1: the walls caving in. Or poor old Errol who said, I'm going to be seeing my dead friends. Mm, Fucking hell.
0: Exactly. So the material that Barker had collected convinced him that precognition was not something that was unusual. In fact, it might even be as common as being left-handed. Really? Yeah, that's what he thought. Anyway, and from the hundreds of submissions, not many of them were accurate, Oh. but some were eerily so. Back to Kathleen Middleton, who had obviously proved to be one of the Bureau's star predictors, whenever her premonitions proved accurate, Barker would write and congratulate her. Okay, and both... Alan Henscher and Kathleen Middleton, their star predictors, separately foretold of a fatal rail crash in Britain only days before a train from Hastings was derailed on its way to London. Now, this is the Hastings to Hither Green rail disaster, which is about sixth or seventh in the national list of worst ever disasters. Happened in 1967. It was a busy Sunday evening. There were passengers even standing on the train. And I know Hastings. And I know the green. In fact, I've lived in both areas. So it was heaving. Yeah. 49 passengers were killed. 78 were injured. Do you know, Michelle, the victims included a hero merchant seaman from World War Two named James Gordon Melville Turner.
1: Okay.
0: Hugh Whitard, who is the son of Walter Whitard of Whitard's Tea, the tea yeah. merchant famous. They both died. Mm-hmm. And a survivor was Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees and his wife-to-be,
1: Molly Hullers, yes. No! They were all on the same train. Oh, my God. We might never have had Stayin' Alive. Exactly,
0: because this was way back in the 60s. Also, on the day that the Premonitions Bureau was launched by Barker and Fairley, a man called Donald Campbell, a serial speed record holder, died while attempting to break his own world water speed record in the Lake District. At the time he died, he'd been traveling at around 300 miles per hour when his speedboat somersaulted and killed him. And apparently, Campbell was quite a superstitious man. So I'm thinking, why have such a dangerous hobby if you're so fucking superstitious? Maybe don't try and break your own records all the time. But the day before he died, while he was playing solitaire, he turned over an ace of spades followed by the queen card and he mentioned this to the report, to reporters on the day of his world speed record breaking. He said that Mary Queen of Scots had also drawn the same cards before her execution. Hence, you know, he was superstitious. And he told the media... I know that one of my family is going to get the
1: chop. I pray to God it's not me. I mean, who do you want it to be? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's guy. like, just take, just take my son. But even still, oh, why Jesus. Why would you go ahead with the jump? Why wouldn't I know. You just... All the signs were there, Donald. Oh, my God. You just say, not doing it. Oh, sorry, guys. Give it a miss today. Postponed. And then you just pull some new cards. That is yeah. crazy. But also, what about the idea of... Self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, there is that. And
0: I think mm. that this book, Scared to Death, it would probably have some quite interesting things in there. But I didn't look into that. Today I'm just looking at the Premonitions Bureau, yes. which was also turned into a book. And you can buy it Ooh. right now if you like. Do you know what? I'll put a link in the show notes. Put a link to that. And this book highlights many famous writers and great thinkers have also been fascinated with Premonition, including Sigmund Freud yep. and Carl Jung. Of course. So the Premonitions Bureau... In Britain, closed shortly after John Barker died in 1968 of a brain hemorrhage. Oh no. Sadly. Yes. And at the time of his death, his loved ones discovered he had left a note. And on that note, there were details of two phone calls he'd received prior to passing away.
1: No, no. Oh my God, who from? One was from Alan Hancher.
0: Oh gosh. And one was from Kathleen Middleton. They knew. And both of them had predicted his death and told him about it.
1: Oh, my God. I just got chills again.
0: (gasps) And that's all I've got on the Premonitions Bureau. So he knew. But how fascinating
1: is that? Yeah, he
0: was told by people who he trusted to know. Fuck. Oh, my
1: God. That just gives me goosebumps. Would you want to know? Well, yes, I think so. Because I think if you know you're going to die... And I'm talking, you know, in a way like, I want to say Ronnie Barker, but what was his name? Who? The guy who just died. Uh, John Barker. John Barker. He's not ill. He's not got a terminal disease. Yeah, it was sudden. I think if you – it was sudden. I think if you know ahead that that's the day you're going to die, I think it changes in- incredibly how you I live. think you'd
0: be too filled with fear to do anything.
1: I don't know. I think I would just see it as, okay – that's my end date. I need to do every fucking thing, see all the people I love, go and do all my favourite things, eat my favourite foods, drink my favourite champagne and just enjoy and then just prepare. Okay, don't know how it's going to happen but that's the day. Stay in
0: bed and get a brain hemorrhage. Maybe.
1: I mean, dying in bed. Honestly, wouldn't that just be the dream? I'm frightened to say now in case it comes true. I'm starting to freak myself out here. Oh, look, I don't have any premonitions for your death. I think you're absolutely fine but... Who knows? None of us know. Who knows? Exactly. No one knows. No one All knows. we know is that it's going to happen to all of us. We just don't know when. Well,
0: that's the one thing that is for certain. We just don't know when, how, why, no, whatever. No, Oh, man. Well,
1: let me just say, I absolutely love that story, Jordi. Thank you so much. And thank you for your lovely murders. I actually want to look that up. And I feel like they need to resurrect something like that again. Yeah. I do think he has some he's on to something mm. when
0: he says that it's like left-handedness. Who of all of us have never had that moment where you think of your mum and she rings or you think of a song and it comes on yep. the radio or you know I've spoken before on this podcast about a vision a very strong vision that I had about a man who tried to c- commit suicide who I met I didn't know him friend of a friend he happened to be at a house where, that I was visiting. I had this image of something I felt so strongly that I had to tell the people who lived in the house and about a month later or two weeks later, I was told the exact thing that I had seen
1: had happened. Well, I told you, I I dreamt my sister was pregnant, called her and said, hey, I had a dream about this and she was like, I just went to the doctor yesterday. No one knows. I'm pregnant. So, you know, wow. I do yeah. think, do you remember you even on this very podcast had uh, talked about crosswords and how it's... The answers are floating in the ether. Yes. I do think there's something That's right. in this. Yeah. There is definitely something in Collective this. consciousness. Yes. And is it premonitions? Is it something else? I, I mean, we don't know all the answers. Well, like we've said
0: before, the big old brain, it's capable of so much. And maybe it's capable of crossing dimensions. Maybe it's capable of invisibility. Who knows? There are things that we don't know that we can do because we haven't accessed certain parts of our brain. Honestly,
1: my brain can't do much these days. I feel like my brain Bits capacity, down. as I <laughs> age, it's get, it's just less and less and less. But also, you know, we talked about time travel and the multiverse and all that kind of stuff. What if that's a part of it? What if premonitions, time slips and all yes. this kind of stuff? We It's your brain. We just don't know. And also, obviously, you know, I you know, I'm a big fan of Abraham, which is a entity. It's this woman who channels these entities who, you know, are from another dimension and and they tell you how to live and whatever. And that sounds mad. When I say it like that, it does. But when you hear that's not a good
0: elevator pitch, Michelle,
1: (laughs) no, it's not, is it? Okay. Just I'm going to put a link to Abraham for anyone who's interested because whether or not you believe and I'm not sure I believe, believe, but the words she says are amazing and really like words to live by. Well, if that's all you need. If that's something that gives you
0: hope and gives you something to to adhere to or to, to latch onto an otherwise meaningless life.
1: Is my life meaningless? <laughs> not
0: saying that everybody's lives are meaningless, but sometimes life can feel lacking in meaning, can't well, it? Well this
1: I mean, Abraham's not about lacking in meaning. It's about nothing good will happen in your life unless you're happy you attract what you put out so if you're miserable you get misery back well, if you're happy you get happiness back that's the basic that's basic. but that's basically all yeah. abraham says just in a you know juju way but who knows if there's also some kind of premonition stuff in that but i absolutely love that story well john barker definitely
0: thinks there is
1: wow well incredible stuff geordie and honestly i just feel like th- there's nothing more to say about that
0: Except for
1: eavesdroppers. Wherever you are Whatever you do Just keep eavesdropping.
0: Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Dropping Eavesdropping. 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 Dropping Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping eavesdropping, 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 Eavesdropping. eavesdropping,
1: eavesdropping, eavesdropping, eavesdropping,